Well, good morning. It is good to meet again, once again, in this way, and uh, be able to look into God's Word. And this week we are concluding a little section of Jesus' third teaching, or his third discourse in Matthew 12 to 13. And if you remember, this teaching started out with Jesus responding to the opposition of the Pharisees to his performing acts of mercy on the Sabbath, uh, healing a man with a withered hand and healing others. Uh, their opposition to Jesus doing kingdom work when they thought he should be following their religious rules. And Jesus rebuked them, and then he began to expose where the hostility of the Pharisees and where the opposition of the Pharisees was coming from. He explained to them, he said, this is a new kingdom breaking into the world. There's a new power, a new power that is able to bind the strong man, able to subdue Satan and to set us free from sin. And you're either a part of that kingdom of light, you are a good tree bearing good fruit out of your new nature, or you're part of the old kingdom of darkness, an evil tree bearing evil fruit out of your evil nature. And so Jesus was essentially saying, you Pharisees are blind and you're hostile because you do not accept the new kingdom. You do not receive me for who I am. Instead, you invent these foolish accusations and by doing so, you reveal the condition of your heart by the words you speak. And then after that, Jesus goes on in chapter 13 to illustrate by parables different aspects of the new kingdom. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says, That same day Jesus went out and sat by the sea, and a crowd gathered on the beach, so that he got into a boat, sat down, and he told them many things by parables. And so Jesus is now going to illuminate or explain this new kingdom and new power that's breaking into the world. And last week, we looked at the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils to better understand how the new kingdom is actually coming into the world and how it enters into the human heart. The new kingdom is a seed that is sown by the literal words of God. It's sown by the Bible, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that word falls on human hearts, and it either finds good soil that receives the kingdom and bears fruit, or it lands on hard, shallow, or weedy soil, where the kingdom is rejected and there's no transformation. That's what we saw last week, how the kingdom is actually coming personally into human hearts. And as we read these parables, we need to keep in mind that they're not morality tales like Aesop's fables. The purpose of a parable is not to impress a certain value on us, like we should work harder, or we should be more courageous, or we should be more generous. There are morality tales in the Bible, especially in the wisdom literature like Proverbs, but Jesus' parables are not those kinds of stories. Jesus speaks in parables to explain something about the kingdom of God which will confront our need for God and which are critical for us to live the full and abundant Christian life that he would have us live. So parables reveal in a very profound and meaningful way aspects of the kingdom of God and of God himself that lead us to confront how we must live our Christian life. The best description of the effect of a parable that I have heard is that it is like an intellectual hand grenade that Jesus pulls the pin on and sets on the table in front of us to see what we will do about it. Parables are meant to be unsettling and explosive and they can't be ignored. When they are on the table, they are a matter of life and death and must be dealt with. So maybe you felt some of that discomfort last week about the parable of the sower and the soils, especially when Jesus was talking about either the complete failure of the bad soil or the expectation of fruit in the good soil. 
And you'll probably feel that discomfort again as we talk about the parable of the wheat and the weeds, especially when Jesus pictures for us what happens with the weeds. But there's a little thought grenade in this parable for the wheat too, and we can't ignore that as the good seed. Now, maybe what I'm talking about doesn't make any sense to you yet because you haven't heard the parable. You've never heard the parable of the wheat and the weeds before and none of this makes any sense. Or maybe you've heard it and you uh, have studied it before and you've got a pretty good grasp of it. But let's just hold on here as Jesus puts this parable in the lap of his disciples and pulls the pin and then forces them and us to confront the revelation of our heart that Jesus would expose and what he wants us to know about the kingdom and how we respond to it. Let's just pray and ask God's work to speak to our hearts and transform us. Father God, we are about to open up your word again as your church family, as your, as your children, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would give us insight that uh, our eyes and minds would be opened to what you would reveal in our own hearts and how we should respond to this parable. Uh, it is not meant to be ignored. Uh, it is explosive on purpose. And so, Lord, let it uh, serve its purpose today. In Christ's name, amen. So it's Matthew 13, uh, 24 to 30 is the parable, and then 36 to 43 is the explanation of it. And uh, so that's what we're looking at. Matthew 13, verse 24. Uh, Jesus, he, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among, along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now that's the parable, and just like the parable of the sower and the soils, Jesus has interpreted this parable for us as well. And so we look at his interpretation before we begin to apply it. Matthew 13, 36 to 43. It says, then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now I think the best way in the time that we have to unpack this parable is to sort of pull the pin on the grenade right up front. This is a shocking parable. It's uncomfortable. It demands a response. And so let's just get that on the table right off the bat. Jesus says as crystal clearly as he possibly can that this age will end. And when it does, angels will sort the evil from the righteous. The righteous will be rewarded and the evil will burn in fire filled with sorrow, despair, anger, 
and regret. That's the grenade. That's the life and death reality that can't be ignored. There is no soft talking about it. There is no couching this in friendlier terms. This is the line that Jesus draws. There are only two outcomes. He's saying once again, you are either for me or against me. You are either a good tree bearing righteous fruit or a bad tree bearing evil. You are either fruitful soil that hears my word and receives it or fruitless soil that rejects it. You are either wheat that I gather or weeds that I burn. Jesus is saying the same thing about the kingdom in that instance. But even though that's the grenade that kind of widens our eyes and stops our heart when we see it land in our lap, the parable is not actually about hell and judgment. It is primarily about the kingdom of God. The parables tell us things about God's kingdom. Jesus isn't just pulling a pin and leaving us with no answer. Jesus is trying to illustrate the nature of his kingdom and the character of God that will serve to rescue his listeners from the judgment that is to come. And the nature of that kingdom that Jesus illustrates is, we will see in a word, patience. Just keep that word in mind, patience. This is ultimately a parable about the patience of God and the slowness of his kingdom. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is, as he begins to explain this parable. We'll just sort of recap it. He says, I'm the sower. I've come now to begin planting the kingdom. So it is even right now being planted like small seeds into a field. And in this sense, the parable has a lot of similarities to the parable of the seed and the soils. But this time, instead of following the arc of the seed as it leaves the sower's hand, and we follow the arc of that seed down to the ground, and Jesus explains what happens to that seed as it lands on an individual human heart, in this parable, Jesus is talking about all the seeds in the whole field. Jesus says it explicitly. He says the field is the whole world. This is a world-spanning kingdom. We're now talking about the seed that has gone out, not an individual seed in a human heart, but the reality of the kingdom as it spreads across the whole world. It crosses national and ethnic boundaries. The seed lands everywhere you can imagine. He says the field is the world. And just notice there that the field is not the church. For some reason, there are people that interpret this parable as the field being the church. And they say things like, well, we can expect that within the church, we will find that there are good people and bad people, that there are good fruitful plants, and there are also, you know, unbelievers. There are people that follow Christ and people that don't follow Christ within the church. No, that's not how the church is meant to be, nor is it how the church is ever described in the New Testament. And we'll see in a moment why that interpretation doesn't hold up. The field is the world. Then Jesus says, those good seeds that I plant in the whole world and you see sprout up over time, they are my followers. They are sons of the kingdom. And so we should notice here that seeds are being planted and they grow up over time there's a passage of time in this parable there's a sowing and there's a growing and then there's a harvesting there's a season where the seeds are becoming mature where they're bearing fruit before the harvest at the end of the age that comes and that's an important aspect of the patient nature of god and what we're going to see in this parable about his kingdom and then jesus says at the same time In the world, there are weeds growing up, and those weeds were planted by the devil, by my enemy, and they are sons of the evil one. And so these kingdoms 
are still spiritual kingdoms that Jesus is talking about. This is still the same spiritual battle. Jesus is talking again about the strong man who must be bound before his house can be plundered. He's talking about Satan who snatches the seed from the hard soil. Jesus doesn't say that the wheat is Israel and the weeds are Romans. This is not a battle of earthly or ethnic kingdoms or a battle even of philosophical ideas or worldviews. This is a conflict of two spiritual kingdoms and it's a matter of spiritual allegiance. So that's the picture that Jesus paints of the kingdom of God as a, as a field, as a sower, as good seed and bad seed. So there are applications then to the wheat to those who are believers, to those who are followers of Christ, to those who are sons of the kingdom, there's an application to us here. There's two kingdoms, there's two seeds, there's wheat and weeds growing up together in the same field. And we can just pause and unpack some of those things that Jesus teaches about this situation and how it applies to us now as we, the church, the wheat, and the servants of the master are actually living right now in this age that Jesus is describing. Jesus is basically saying it's going to be normal in the world to see the kingdom, to see Christ followers growing up and bearing fruit right alongside and intermixed with weeds. That's what we see in the world. Christians will be right shoulder to shoulder with rebellious people or just thoughtless people or even people who look like they're bearing some fruit but they're really not serving the kingdom of God. They're just serving the kingdom of this world or they're serving their own kingdom. And in telling the parable, Jesus anticipates a question out of this that his followers will have, and he gives them an answer. The question that he anticipates his followers will have, his servants, is, shouldn't we then, in this age, be pulling out those weeds? Shouldn't we, as sons of the kingdom and daughters of the kingdom, right now be judging the weeds in the world and maybe bundling them up and throwing them into the fire right now or something like that? Isn't that what's going to happen to them anyway? So shouldn't we be doing that? cleaning up your field, cleaning up the world. And that's an important lesson here. Jesus says, no, it's not our job to pull up the weeds in the world. The nature of the kingdom in this age right now is that it's going to start small and it's going to grow and keep growing and it will bear fruit. It will yield a terrific crop. But it is not the job of the church to judge the world. He says, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat among them. Jesus basically says here, if the church gets in all militant out in the world, you may end up judging and uprooting other churches and other believers in your zeal to pull out the weeds. Your judgment is not trustworthy. It's not the job of the servants to judge the world. You will get it wrong sometimes. So leave the judging of the world to me. Romans 12:19. Paul says it this way. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus says, I have angels coming, and in time they will gather the weeds. Now it's interesting because Jesus' own disciples kind of got caught up in this. There's a, If you want to go to Luke chapter 9, I'm not going to cover the whole story, but in Luke chapter 9, about verse 50 to 56 or so, there's a little story of Jesus as he's traveling and he sends word ahead that he's coming and there's a town in Samaria that rejects him, literally rejects the Messiah, rejects the kingdom of God as it's coming to them. And so he has to carry on past that town because they don't want anything to do with him. And the disciples actually come to Jesus and say, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on this town because they've rejected you? <laughs> and Jesus says, uh, no. 
don't call down fire from heaven on this town because they've rejected me. Uh, that's not your job. And so this is what Jesus is saying. It's not the job of the disciples, the servants, the weak, the church to be judging the world. He, I have angels coming in time. They are going to gather the weeds. They will take care of it. Now, just briefly, please notice this. As I said, this is not about the church. Jesus says it is normal in the world for believers to be mixed in with unbelievers, but it is not normal in the church that that be the case. It's not the place of believers to judge people in the world, but it is the place of believers to judge those who have made themselves a part of the church. Will there be some unbelievers and even some false teachers in the church? Yes, but they are characterized in the New Testament not as visible weeds growing alongside believers. They are always more like wolves in sheep's clothing. They're normally characterized as singular, outstanding predators among a largely pure flock. In Matthew 18, Jesus is actually going to talk about how we treat the church differently than the world in our judgments. And that's for another time. We'll get to Matthew 18 eventually. But for right now, just don't get this confused. The field is the world. It is not the church. So that's the first lesson for us as servants of the kingdom. It's not specifically our job to go around pulling up weeds in the world. Jesus will do that. What it is our job to do is to grow as wheat and to bear fruit around us. This is the important part, and we'll touch more on this in just a moment. But the field is ripening. Time is passing. Things are moving towards an end, towards a harvest. But until the harvest, we as wheat plants have a chance to grow and the world has a chance to repent. That's the first application. The other thing that we can consider as being wheat in the field, so again, this is to believers, this is those who are sons of the kingdom, this is to those who right now follow Christ uh, in the kingdom as it stands right now in the world. The other thing we can consider here is uh, one word in verse 24, but it's a very hopeful word. It says, The kingdom of heaven may, come compa- may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Do you notice the word there? It may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And it's very reassuring as the good seed, as the wheat, as we are growing, as we are nearing maturity, as we are bearing fruit, as we await the harvest, that in this parable, Jesus says the field is his field. The field is God's. Neither the sons of the evil one nor Satan has any say in how this field is going to ripen or in how it's going to be harvested. When you get to the end of the parable, the enemy is nowhere to be found. He has no say in how this all ends. The strong man is bound. His kingdom has no power. It has its people for a time mixed into this field, but they will not take over the field, nor will they stifle the fruit of the harvest. Satan has no power in the end to stop the master or stop his reapers. And so we can take courage in that. It's tempting as Christians, as the church in our day and age to be discouraged as we see in our own time what Jesus says we should expect, we see all the weeds in the world and seemingly very little real grain. And we get impatient and we think we should be pulling up the weeds. Why can't we root out this evil and this selfishness and this greed and this injustice and this violence? And we think, let's bring about God's kingdom now, quickly, by force even. We have the power of God with us. We should be uprooting all of this. We are impatient, but Jesus is patient. Jesus says, the world is my field. I own it. I've got it. You just grow and bear fruit while you have time. That's the message to the wheat. 
Or if we were to take the same parable and shift the application or the focus now to the bad seed into the weeds, Jesus says, the world is my field. I own it. I have it. You need to repent while you still have time. So let's shift now a little bit to the application to the weeds. Let's go back to the grenade because there's a life and death situation on the table here still and the pin has been pulled. Verse 40 says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. So that's the time phrase, another time phrase that we're looking for here. Jesus is talking about the kingdom coming, being planted as seed, the field in a season growing for a while, and then he says there is eventually a time coming at the end of the age. The end of this period of the seed being planted and the word being sown. The end of this opportunity for faith and fruitfulness. What does he say of that time? He says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Which basically means, this is a warning, listen up. Now notice here, as Jesus is explaining the parable to the disciples, He says, the man is me, the seeds are the sons of the kingdom, and the field is the world, and the reapers are my angels, and the barn is the kingdom of the Father, and the weeds are the evil ones, and the fire that we burn the weeds in, oh, the fire is fire. It's interesting, right? People are constantly insisting that the fire of hell that Jesus talks about many, many times is just a metaphor for something else. And yet here in a parable that is full of metaphors, that Jesus says this thing is that thing and this thing is that other thing and these things are those things, it's the only thing in the parable that isn't a metaphor. Jesus says the fire that burns the weeds, it's fire. That's what I'm talking about. Honestly, I don't claim to know exactly what hell is going to be and what judgment is going to be in that sense. But Jesus never shies away from describing it as an eternal fire. And in that eternal fire, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is unending sorrow. There is despair. There is regret. And there is anger against a righteous God. Jesus mentions this weeping and gnashing earlier in Matthew, in Matthew 8, 12. He says, those that reject Jesus will be thrown into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it is a place of fire. It is a place of absolute outer darkness. In Mark 9:48, Jesus describes hell in another way. He says, it's where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So hell is real and physical. And we can be sure that it is not less than its description. It is worse. Just as we believe about heaven that it is not figurative but physical, we expect to enter into a real reward, a physical heaven. And that heaven is not less than our ability to describe it, but more. When, when we think that the streets of heaven are paved with gold, are they paved literally with gold? Yes, I'm certain they are literally paved with something that is at least gold or something better than gold that we don't even have a description of. And so we can ask ourselves in this judgment at the end of the age, is there fire in hell? Is there something physical like fire? And if it isn't exactly like fire, which would be bad enough, then it's certainly worse. Jesus describes it as the furnace of fire. 
So this is not just any ordinary fire. It is a furnace of fire. And in that physical punishment, there's also comes this emotional and psychological and spiritual punishment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal regret. That is the grenade that Jesus pulls the pin on. He puts that on the table in front of us, in front of the disciples, and he says, what are you going to do with this knowledge of the kingdom? That the kingdom right now is in the growing phase. I planted seeds, I started small. I'm scattering that seed around the world by the word of the gospel. And good plants are growing up and weeds are growing up. But there is a harvest coming. What are you going to do about it? We also see here, as we consider the judgment to come, that it comes quickly. It's immediate and it's final. The weeds don't get put into purgatory for a little while, just to get toasted a little. And then after they get toasted in purgatory for a while, they get moved from the furnace over into the barn with everyone else. And the sorting doesn't take another age to accomplish. The sorting happens at the end of this church age. And when the final eternal age begins, the sorting has happened and it is finished. There's nothing in between. There isn't a, just kidding humanity, you have another 2,000 years to try and get it right again. This age, this Messiah, this sacrifice, this covenant, this gospel offering from God is it. This is the final one. Jesus makes all of this clear in this parable. And that's the bad news. But it brings us back around to the central characteristic of the present kingdom and of the character of God during this age. It brings us to how Jesus intends and desires all of mankind to resolve the dilemma of the grenade on the table in front of them. And the answer is, if you remember, and we sort of kept in mind as we went through this, is that God is patient, that the kingdom is deliberately growing slowly. God's wrath is not now, it's future. God's wrath is being withheld by the promise that we have that Jesus will gather in his kingdom. He is gathering in his kingdom. And God has made a way in love for that wrath to be placed on his son. Exodus 34, 6 describes God way back in the law, way back before the new covenant, describes the same characteristics of the God. It says, the Lord, the Lord is a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus says, this kingdom is growing slowly. You may be impatient. You may be wondering why you can't go and pull out the weeds right now. You're wondering why, if I'm the Messiah and the kingdom, of come, kingdom has come, why the judgment hasn't already happened. You disciples may be wondering why I'm not calling down fire on all of these evil people, but instead I'm healing and I'm spreading the good news of the gospel to sinners. Jesus says, this is why. Because my kingdom is slow in coming. It is now coming into the world, but it is not yet final and perfected. There is time for the world to repent. Paul says it this way in Romans. Romans chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. He says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such evil things and yet do them yourself, that you yourself will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Let's see how Paul there just picks out all of these little elements of Jesus's parables and Jesus's descriptions of the kingdom. He says, are you going to judge when you're guilty yourself? Do you presume upon the patience and the forbearance of God, not knowing that his kindness, his patience is meant to lead you to repentance? But you're going to miss it because you have a hard heart and you're storing up wrath for that day that is to come. These are all the things that Jesus has been teaching, all the things that the Apostle Paul understands and rephrases and repackages for us in Romans. The nature of the kingdom right now as it presses into the world is one of patience and mercy and restrained wrath. You may not think it looks that way right now when you look around the world. You may not think that the wrath of God is restrained, but right now what we are suffering is the result of sin. It's the consequence of disobedience and rebellious rebelliousness. This is not the wrath of God. Right now, his wrath is restrained. In fact, justice is patiently postponed so that we all have an opportunity to repent and escape the judgment. But God, in order to be righteous, must be just and he must judge. Repent and believe and trust in Jesus. We have to repent and believe and trust the way that a drowning person trusts in the hand of a lifeguard reaching out to save them. We have to trust the way a bankrupt person trusts in the mercy of a generous lender who will forgive his debt. God will save and God will forgive if we put our trust in him. 2 Corinthians 6, 2-3 says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. This is the lesson of the kingdom that Jesus teaches, and the warning of the way of escape. God has made a way for me and for you and for anyone anywhere. It is a field that spans the globe. Anywhere in the world, people may be reconciled. He says in Colossians 2, 13 to 15, he says, you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that should stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God says, I have made a way for you by the cross of Jesus Christ for you to triumph, for you to shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. I will cancel the record that is held against you. I will nail it to the cross as you put your hope in Christ Jesus. Now is the day of your salvation. Anyone with ears, let them hear. Let them hear what Jesus is saying about the kingdom, that God is patient and the kingdom is slow. Not patient because he's not going to be just and do justice when time comes. Patient because he's a God of love and he desires that everyone have opportunity to come into the kingdom. What will you do with this disturbing but life-changing and life-altering reality that Jesus has placed in front of us? You cannot avoid it. It's uncomfortable, but it must be confronted. I pray that you will know that you have the forgiveness of sins and you have the salvation of the Father. Let's pray. Father God, 
We just thank you for your word. We thank you for this startling and disruptive teaching of Jesus. He teaches this way because he's loving. The last thing a loving person would do is hold back the truth from somebody who needs to know that they stand in danger. And because Jesus loves us, he wants us to know crystal clear exactly where we stand. There are only two kingdoms. There are only two outcomes. But the good news is great that he has come to make a way and that God is patient and that there is time now that this day, even right now, is the day of salvation for many. Father, humble us. Help us to set our own pride aside and to just listen to the teaching of Jesus and accept the free gift of eternal life that is here so that we can shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. This is the reward that God wants for us as we turn our hearts towards him. Father, I just pray that anyone who is listening, anyone within the sound of this word, would even right now ask your Holy Spirit to show them the way to Jesus and that they would ask anyone around them, how do I have this new life? How do I escape this outcome and receive the reward? Father God, I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.